Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, August 24th. Would you consider pressing pause on your favorite social media platform for a couple of days? We speak with Sarah Andrews from the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting Group, an organization proposing a temporary boycott of both Facebook and Instagram in response to the meta ban of posting news content. It's been an historic summer when it comes to wildfires, and we are just at the peak of the season now. We get an update on the devastation with Andrew Weaver, Professor of Earth and Ocean Sciences from the University of Victoria. And finally, we continue the conversation surrounding the current wildfire situation. We speak with a BC-based business owner, who's faced two major fire-related disasters in the past decade. Starting today, there might just be a few fewer eyes on some of the biggest social media platforms that we all know and love. That's because one group wants change. To tell us about this movement, we're joined this morning by Sarah Andrews, the Director of Government and Media for the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting Group. Morning, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, tell us a little bit about your group. Who are you? What do you do? Yes, so friends, we are just Canadian citizens across the country who care about uh, cultural media policy in Canada. We care about broadcasting, we care about journalism, and we care about making sure that big tech is regulated and played by Canadian rules. I want to back it up just a bit, Sarah, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people out there might not know exactly what happened. You know, I think that we are in the world. Obviously, we have a dog in the fight, Sarah, in the mainstream media, radio station, current affairs and talk. We want to spread information. Mm -hmm. We know what has happened, but other folks might just, they'll be surfing, for example, a Facebook or an Instagram and may not have noticed what exactly has happened. Absolutely, and they may have actually seen some disinformation about what has happened because there is no more news on their platform. So uh, Meta, in reaction to um, a law that was passed by our democratically elected members of parliament uh, in this past June, so that law is the Online News Act, and it was designed to ensure that platforms like Meta, like Google, uh, fairly compensate Canadian media for the work that they do and that is shared on their platforms. Um, Meta chose to respond to that law uh, being adopted by blocking news, just completely blocking access to news to Canadians on their platforms. Other platforms like Google have chosen to work with the government to find a solution that works for everyone, but Meta just decided to hold the government to ransom. And it seems, you know, I mean, it can be quite dangerous in many examples. Let's talk about the the shooting up at the West Edmonton Mall. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about the fires that broke out and were raging in Kelowna. I mean, so many great examples of, you know, and people can argue, well, you shouldn't get your your news from social media. But people post links to great news stories all over social media. And that is how a lot of people do it because we spend a lot of time there. So are you asking the group, the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting, are you asking for a boycott of Meta at this point or what are you looking for? So we're suggesting to Canadians for the next 48 hours to stay off of your Facebook and Instagram because as most people know, um, Meta makes money off of us being on the platform. They monetize our eyeballs looking at content. So we're hoping to send Meta a message by staying off of the platform for 48 hours that we won't be bullied and that we won't take this news blog laying down. Let's also talk about, you know, the other side of the world, uh, Australia going through something Mm -hmm. like this. And Australia came to some sort of an agreement. Tell us about the agreement and how long something like this took and how it looked. It seems like in the Australia, so when Meta blocked news in Australia, it took it didn't take that long for the government to come to a compromise. I think the difference with the Australian uh, model was because they were in the process of adopting the legislation. In this case, Meta had participated. Um, they had come and testified in front of parliamentarians and explained their point of view. 
um, changes were made to the law through that through that process by parliamentarians. And, uh, you know, Meta just decided that, and we don't really know why, it would be really great for Meta to explain uh, explain themselves why, what they, what problem they have with this law, but they just decided that they were just going to block news as soon as the law was adopted. Um, it's good to remind people that the law doesn't come into effect until the end of this year. So at the moment, Meta has really no reason to be blocking news. In fact, they could be at the negotiating table with the government and have a conversation about this law. Uh, We're just a small drop in the bucket. Do you think really even for us just to not go on Facebook or Insta today is going to do anything? I mean, that's a really good question, and I appreciate that it might seem like a small action. It gives people a chance to show their support for Canadian news, and I think the more we are uh, working together in solidarity, the bigger a message we can send to Meta that their behaviour is unacceptable. And it also gives Canadians a chance to find, you know, their, their news by other means, like go back to the, the old school ways of getting news, so listening to the radio, tuning into your local uh, TV and catching the newscast there, going out and buying a newspaper, or even considering getting a subscription to a newspaper online, because many uh, newspapers have shifted to online now. Yeah, you know, listening right here, uh, talk on FM, QR Calgary, exactly. QRCalgary.com. How's that for a promo good in the work, middle of an good interview? Work, Andy. Um, uh, but, Sarah, uh, let's, let's, let's break this down, though, because as we sit here, we like to be on our social media, and then we're watching the government. Absolutely. They have something to say. It's like kind of we are on the sidelines, but this is our world. These are products we use in Instagram mm-hmm. or, or a Facebook. Other than this boycott or potential step back, are there things that the average citizen can do? Uh, who would we write? Can we be our own lobbyists? Absolutely. So, I mean, Friends does, we are in constant communication with the government about this. Um, So you can go to friends.ca to find out more about the work that we do. But you can also go to our website and write to your member of parliament. If you think this this, uh, news ban is unacceptable, you can write to them and ask them to join the boycott. And I would just encourage people to write to their MPs and express themselves as well about how they feel. It's really easy to find your MPs through the parliamentary website. Uh, You just need to put in your postal code and write and tell them how you feel about this. You know, I think it does sometimes feel like we can't do anything, we can't make a change, but, you know, maybe we can. Maybe we can help get this message out there. I love it. Okay, so the website again, friends.ca. You can see all the info right there. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Sarah Andrews, Director of Government and Media for the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting Group. Tens of thousands have evacuated from Yellowknife in the Northwest Territory and evacuations taking place in cities in the interior of B.C. as well. To talk about Canada's worst wildfire season on record, we're joined this morning by Andrew Weaver, professor at the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for being with us again. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Wildfires raging in Canada, I mean, a devastating fire in Maui. How do we rate this as being the worst wildfire season ever? I mean, it's uh, what's what's gone on this year in Canada and in British Columbia. Both have set uh, uh, records, both BC and Canada. Uh, is 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 it's quite unparalleled. It, it completely shattered the previous record, and um, it's still ongoing. So the sad reality is, this is what we've come to expect with uh, a changing climate, and uh, it's just a lot more of this in store in the future until we start recognizing that it's important to take preparatory steps and uh, mitigate against the future effects. Obviously, we can talk climate change, but let's talk the here and now as far as the conditions are concerned, Andrew. Uh, What is it? Is it the heat or is it the drought or is it the combination of both that are promoting these fires and the uh, very much increased incidents we're seeing? 
Oh, well, uh, forest fires need three things to actually get going. One is oxygen, of course. We have no shortage of that in the atmosphere. Uh, the second is uh, something to ignite them, and there's no shortage of that as well with lightning. And, and the third thing is fuel. And, and again, uh, Canadian boreal forest, Canadian interior forest, there's no shortage of that. But the fuel has to be dry. And so what we know uh, is that, we've known this for decades, is that uh, the two ingredients to get the fuel dry is one, um, temperature, and the second one is moisture. So with a, it's a combination of the increasing summer temperatures, which are detectable and attributable to human activity, as well as the increased uh, likelihood of summer drying and drought. So it's a combination of both. Uh, the notion of, the, there's no shortage of, of things igniting them. It is really the summer, summer heat and the summer lack of water. I mean, you said we've known it for decades, so it shouldn't be terribly surprising what we're experiencing this year. But what about that argument? You always hear it. Well, I mean, the forest fires are necessary for getting rid of the old and the regrowth, et cetera. Or is this just to the extreme and, and far more than we ever could have imagined? I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Of course, uh, there have been issues with respect to forest fire management. The, the, the difference is, of course, the forest fires we're talking about. This is not like Northwest Territories coming and getting yellow knife. This is not about forest fire management. Uh, this is really the drought and temperature things. So, so there are aspects of forest management that need to change. One of the things is when we have a forest fire, we, we want to replant uh, the same species that we were, for example, uh, that was there in the first place. And we typically end up setting up monoculture uh, stands, and those are not as resilient. We, we know that, uh, for example, the pine is, 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 is something we want to plant back. And so we, in BC, what we do is we spray um, essentially the Roundup in, in ingredient uh, on, the, on the newly logged forest to ensure that all the broadleaf uh, trees don't grow. So we end up growing just pine trees. Well, again, that's not uh, very resilient against change. But the issue for towns, of course, is also a clearing uh, underbrush and, and ensuring that the forest don't come up to the, your, your house, because that is when you can get the jumping from, from, from the forest fires to the actual towns. But there, again, a lot of work needs to be done. We have, a, we have in, in Canada a Fire Smart program. Uh, it just seems to me that um, the program exists, the, the, the notion of what to do exists, but people just don't bother doing it. And, and, and we're starting to see some of the consequences of that. Well, Sue and I have talked off microphone about this, Andrew. And by the way, we're speaking with Andrew Weaver, professor from the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria. If this is, and I hate uttering this term, the new normal, but it fits well in this case. If this is the new normal, why do we not have a fleet of 10 water bombers, state-of-the-art, and focus on that technology and say, okay, we're going to battle these and combat these right away with kind of a fleet? Why, why aren't we doing that? Well, yeah, it's, it's a good point. I, first of all, I don't like the term new normal. I'll tell you why. It's because normal implies we've come to some new equilibrium. This is nothing like what the new normal will be when we stop putting greenhouse gases in. Uh, we got a long way to go there. But, but you're absolutely right. These are, these are notions of adaptation. Uh, we've known, as again, the, two decades ago, my colleagues and I published a paper pointing out that this was happening, the increased wildfires, and it's going to get worse as a consequence of climate change. So we've known this for decades, but we have not responded. And, and, and really the reason is, and from, from my experience in the legislature, is that a political establishment often spend a lot of time dealing with the, pardon the pun, but it's appropriate, the brush fire du, du jour, right? So that attention is focused to, say, a health care crisis, or then we have COVID. And these kind of longer time frame preparatory things never really rise to the uh, immediate 
forefront. And so that, I would suspect that there's some of that. Although Canada is doing quite well in terms of preparing now, but it's just taken so long to get to this position that we got a lot of work to go to do. Andrew, you've written an article in theconversation.com that we're referencing here, and uh, you made a point about talking about the Alberta government, and you said you wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know the government's taken to court um, after Premier Danielle Smith's economic and environmental decision to put a, mot- a moratorium on renewable energy projects. How is this affecting what's happening right now across our province, particularly? Well, so, yeah, so, I mean, first of all, Alberta, you, 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 you were... Uh, whacked with forest fires a little earlier in the season than now BC is getting whacked with them later in the season. Uh, the, the, the issue here is we, we've just had a, a quite, a, quite a momentous ruling come out of Montana where youth were able to sue successfully in a, a, judicial, in a court, uh, the government, basically for not protecting their rights to a healthy environment. We had, we had one, a, a recent, uh, not, not so much a success, but a, the, the words in the ruling the, um, were, were, were lauded as, as, as being very supportive. Uh, Doug Ford was taken to court and his, his government by uh, youth. Again, similar kind of notions. This is clearly going to happen in Alberta next because the the decisions that were made by the Premier are are so egregious, so outrageous, and so utterly nonsensical with respect to uh, renewable energy, using arguments that are demonstrably silly, uh, things like intermittent power. Well, well, of course, uh, wind is intermittent, but you store the power. We do that in BC very well with our hydro dams. Others do it with, uh, you know, other other. There's this battery storage. There's uh, high voltage DC point to point transmission lines. There's all sorts of things you can do. Um, so what this really was, and it wasn't even transparent, is 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 really an attempt in my mind to take us um, backwards in terms of the decarbonization of energy systems, which is what is required. And that, in in despite all the evidence. It's not even a balance of evidence anymore. It's the overwhelming majority of evidence would suggest that this is an irresponsible decision uh, environmentally, but also economically, because why on earth would you put a moratorium on the cheapest form of energy that's out there? Uh, It makes no sense. And uh, yet here we have it. And so I, I can see that there will be aggrieved youth um, in Alberta, doing the following along, and the, the reason why I say that is, um, for seven and a half years I was in the BC legislature, prior to going into the legislature, uh, I was teaching at the university, of course, and, and climate change was always viewed as a somewhat esoteric issue by the students in my classes. It was someone else's problem sometime in the future, somewhere else in the world. And when I came back, it was clear to me that the, uh, that the, the youth of today were, were, were quite concerned, very concerned. So much so that I would say that climate anxiety was gripping many of them. And I was, I was doing everything I could to point out to them, no, the world is not going to end in a decade. And, and some of that messaging is, is alarmist. But unfortunately, um, the, when you have policies like we see in Alberta, it does nothing but, 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 but undermine this sense of hopelessness within growing numbers of youth, which is not founded, A, uh, it shouldn't be. It is founded. I mean, it, sh- it should not be. It should not have to be there, and and it's just it's it's like poking a stick at a beast. Why would you do that, Andrew? Thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate you having this conversation with us. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew Weaver, professor at the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria. Well, he has been through a lot. You could call it a handful. Located in Kelowna, Jason Lloyd, the founder and CEO of Tiki Tours, 
has had to flee a second time in his life as wildfires ravaged the area he lives in. State of emergency has hit his family and business hard, and now he's advocating for other businesses like his in a similar situation to call on the government for help. Jason is joining us this morning to talk more and explain what he's been through. Good morning to you, Jason. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Well, before we, we get to your experience and the fact that uh, my heart goes out to you that it's been a couple of times, uh, where are you located right now, and can you tell us the current situation that you're in? Yes, I'm currently in uh, Kelowna at a, a local hotel with my family. Um, woke up this morning, took a little walk down by the lake, and, and feeling, uh, feeling optimistic here. The, uh, the, the smoke has dissipated, and it looks like the sun might come out today. It's good news. That, that's nice, Jason, for sure. We need a little bit of, of good news on this front. So uh, tell us a little bit about your backstory and how the wildfire season has impacted you and your business. Well, a Thursday, uh, Thursday morning it started. We heard the, the fire. Um, our community was put on evacuation alerts. Um, so having a little bit of experience from the 2016 form of marine wildfires, uh, my wife and I, we didn't wait. We packed our bags. We got our, our, our important things, our documents, passports, children, photos, things like that, and we brought our bag with us. And later that evening, um, we actually watched the fire from the other side of Lake Grow, and that's when the evacuation order was uh, was issued so we've been displaced ever since last Thursday now. Um, it's been a long six to seven days. Kind of seems to blur all together here. Um, but again, today we're looking hopeful. We've heard some good news yesterday, uh, an area close to our neighborhood. Some folks were allowed to get slowly back into their homes. Uh, but yeah, it's been a long uh, six, seven days, a lot of unknown, a lot of stress, um, a lot of cancellations on the tour front as well. As mentioned at the beginning of this interview, Jason, it's not the first time you've had to flee fires in your life. Tell us a bit more about uh, your uh, previous escape you made from Fort McMurray. Yes, and it's something, looking back, it's not something you want to be experienced in. Uh, unfortunately, what happened back in 2016, um, like many other residents of Fort McMurray, the 90,000 of us had to evacuate uh, at a moment's notice, moment's notice um, came quick and fast. I was actually at work at the time when this happened, and my family was already um, in town for evacuating, and, and, and yeah, we, we just had to pack up and leave. We didn't have a chance to go back to our house and get everything. We just left, and, and we evacuated like many of the others. Um, but when we left, kind of reflecting back, to this situation, we left with what we had. Uh, my wife, my children, that, that breaks it down to, in a car, four of us, that's all that was important. Everything else was replaced, losing our home there. So this time around, again, it's not something you think you'd be experienced in, but uh, definitely we were uh, a little bit more calmer. Uh, we knew the situation could unfold and it's out of our hands. It's, 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 you know, this is mother nature. Uh, we can only control what's, what's in our own uh, destiny, but um, things like this, you just kind of have to be patient um, and just wait. Things will get better. Yeah, whether the first time or the third time, Jason, right, it does really bring it home. What's important, what's key, and that's you and your family and, and you know, making sure that you get out safely. How can the government help you or how could we help you and businesses in B.C.? I mean, you know, they asked people, to tourists to leave, so there were places for people, the residents, to evacuate to. But now I'm assuming businesses really probably want the tourists to come back, don't they? Yes, and in the Okanagan, beautiful Kelowna, folks come from the Lower Mainland, Alberta. We welcome everybody with open arms. Uh, it's a beautiful area. Um, in August, this is, is detrimental to our business, uh, coming to a screeching halt with, with tens of thousands of dollars on the books, not just with our business, local restaurants, hotels. You go through it, other, other small um, uh, operators like ourselves. And being a family-run business, like I, I mentioned, this is our livelihood. This is very challenging times for us. Uh, we spent most of this time um, uh, just on the phones. 
in emails with the numerous, numerous, numerous uh, customers you know, uh, calling and canceling well into September. And I, and I know something like this can definitely spook folks that are from the outside, not truly understanding the situation uh, here in Kelowna, uh, that are canceling well into the end of September. And we're trying to kind of communicate with folks, you know, things will get better. Things will get better. But again, other small tour operators like us, it's, it's detrimental. The revenue that we're going to be making here, this latter, later part of the of the season, really helps us kind of look forward to the next season, improvements in our business, and, and how we can kind of grow it and make things better for the, the tourists coming the following season. But Jason, you know, as far as, you know, you now have, like you mentioned earlier, unfortunately, you have experience in this realm. You can share it with other business owners. You and other business owners can kind of clamor together and try to get a plan for success moving ahead under these adverse conditions. But when it comes to the government, can the government help? And what would you like to see more so for a framework for help? I know it's easy to say just money handouts, but could the government do something that could very much help you? Well, it started yesterday. Uh, excuse me. I guess it would be today as of midnight. It did start. The travel ban was lifted for Kelowna area, which is a first step. It's a great help. I know there was some uh, local um, other fellow entrepreneurs here were asking the, the assistance with the Kelowna Tourism, Open Ogden Tourism Association, to um, pressure the, uh, the provincial government to remove the travel ban a little bit earlier. So having things restricted as of right now, which is great. Folks can come in, um, stay in the hotels, they can come here, and we can start doing business again. So that was the first step, and that's great news to hear. This is our first day with that. Um, other than that, we'll see how things roll out, if, if tourists are still going to be a little apprehensive of coming here or not. Um, like I mentioned this morning, the sun is out, the sky is clearing. It's great news, but I want to make sure that our tourists feel confident and comfortable coming here. Uh, I know this is uh, forest fire season, but I want to make sure there's some communication coming out from the provincial government that, hey, you don't work back over for business. Things are safe. Please do come. Well, we wish you luck, Jason. You get back to it. Hopefully things uh, work out much better. And boy, everybody gets back to business and, and things stay safe. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Take Jason care. Lloyd is the founder and CEO of Tiki Time Tours in B.C.